Um, it's great, great to see you guys. Uh, today's going to be a, a cool day because you don't have to listen to my raspy voice for the next 30 minutes. Uh, it's going to be a really special day. That sound of just the buzzing of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ hugging one another is really beautiful. Uh, as beautiful as the singing is, the fellowship is beautiful, and as beautiful as the fellowship is, uh, God's word, and as beautiful as God's word is what he's doing in our life and the stories that come out of that. And so we've been in this, ta- this series called The Blessed Table, and it's really just been about, we've been pointing to the, the Lord's table and the communion and what it represents in its fullness of the gospel, that it's about what Jesus did, but it's really also in the, the word remembrance, uh, Eucharist, Eucharist, or whatever it is in the Greek is to remember the person, not just to remember the experience, but to remember the person, to remember Christ. And uh, this, it's just been about drawing us into the mission and community that God's placed us into. And so I thought, what better way to wrap this up on kind of Thanksgiving weekend, if you will, better way to wrap this up than just to share and give God glory for what he's doing in our lives and in people's lives. And so we're going to do something I've never done before, but it's just a kind of a different way to share testimonies and people to share their stories. And this may be something that's birthed and we continue to do called storytellers. And so we'll dive into that in just a moment. And I'll introduce you to these good looking folks behind me. <clears throat> uh, there's a show that came out years ago uh, that was called Lost. Anybody watch Lost? Die hard fans. Those hands go up hard. Um, I loved this show, and uh, if you don't know anything about the show, it's about this uh, group of people that um, are, are, their plane crashes on this island, and they're lost. Um, and as the story unfolds, um, there's always a flashback every episode, and you learn about someone's past that you didn't know when you first meet them, and they're walking around on the island. Um, everybody kind of gets a fresh start because there's some people who they were on there and they were handcuffed because they were um, like federal, they're in federal custody. There's uh, an Iraqi uh, interrogator. There's, um, you know, a drunk surgeon, an alcoholic surgeon. There's all these people with this kind of dark past. There's a drug addict, a rock star. All this past that's kind of unfolding and you begin to see at this fresh start where they're lost on this deserted island and the six seasons that unfolds, they slowly are finding themselves and they're finding as their stories intersect and connect in this really odd and beautiful way sometimes. And uh, the show ends, uh, if, for those of you that followed the show all the way to the end, there was a lot of outcry from true fans because every episode, while they give you one answer, they birthed six more questions. And the finale was true to suit, that it, it didn't answer everything, but it uh, brought a lot of more questions. And, but these people were found. They were found on the island. Spoiler alert. I mean, could you guess that? The people that were lost, now they're found. Uh, and I think it's so apropos for the day we're going to have today and the time we're going to share together about lives intersecting, fresh starts, and moving from loss to being found. And so I want to introduce you to a few wonderful people today. Um, this right here is Mr. Corey Duggar. Tell him a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so here I'm kind of like the light sound person, kind of help set things up. Um, for my, uh, okay. You for my job, I, uh, I work with kids. I've worked with uh, five-year-olds in after-school care for about seven years, but now I'm doing counseling um, where I'm going doing with Child Guidance Center, and I'm an intern, and I go from school to school 
uh, counseling from age five to eighteen. What's your big? What's your biggest hobby? What's your? What are you into? My biggest hobby, I would say, would probably be playing video games. I play like Marvel Puzzle Quest all the time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is Kim Coleman. Tell them a little about yourself. Hi. Um. I am married to a wonderful man, David. Thirty years, going on thirty-one in February, and. We have three beautiful children, two grown daughters, 26 and 23, and a son, Samuel, 13, bringing up the rear, and an awesome grandson, Cooper. Awesome, awesome. Very cool. What are your hobbies? Hobbies. Love to travel, love missions, love, love to go out into the world and just experience people and cultures all over the place. How many different countries have you been to? I, I don't know. I would, off the top of my head, maybe six or seven. Yeah, yeah quite a few. You've been to yeah. a lot of places. Cool. This is Alex Losey. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, so I'm married to Chris Losey up here. We have two beautiful sons, Carson and Skyler. And here in Jackson, I work at Bank of America. And for my hobbies, I'd probably say going out to eat. I'm a big foodie, so foodie. that's my biggest hobby. Awesome, <laughs> who doesn't love some good food? Well, what we're gonna do today is just share, um, really allow them to share. It's, it's funny, we've been playing this for a while and it just happens to be the day that I, or the weekend that I lose my voice. So it works out perfectly. God's like, shut up, let them tell their story. Um, and so I've, I've been able to share a little bit with each one of these folks and just kind of be able to engage them um, and let them share their story in front of you and pray that uh, this is just really about glorifying God and encouraging the body. And um, so let's start with Corey. Like it, when we were talking, you shared a lot about just your upbringing, a, a pretty religious upbringing, if you will. Um, and one would think that that just turned out all wonderful, but really you had to wade through a lot of stuff, and it really probably took you at least one, maybe two decades to really understand that God loves you out of a religious environment. It really took them almost two decades, and really even recently understanding that. Can you share more on, on kind of your upbringing and, and how you've seen God, you know, show his love to you? So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've had two absolutes in my life that, that I always remember happening. One is I remember always being in church. Like, my parents were all, always making sure I'm there. But then the other one was I always kind of had this feeling that I'm not good enough. Like, that I'm a failure and things are not okay. Um, and, like, when I was five, I, I was in church and I was in children's church and we had one of those little felt board things where... Uh, they would have like, here are the flames, here, here's heaven, here's a cross, here's you. Do you want Jesus or do you want hell? <laughs> and um, of course, as a little five-year-old, I'm like, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was, but that did give me like kind of like a God loves you. And I, I, I kind of held on to that my, my whole life. Like God does love me enough that he doesn't want me to burn in hell for the rest of my life. But at the same time, that kind of fed into the, you're not good enough. Um, why? Uh, yeah, God saved you, but he probably doesn't really want to talk to you any more than that because you're garbage. And um, so I, I kind of just kept on going through that. I, I got more and more active in church. I kind of did evangelism for a while. If I think about it, I probably knocked on like about a thousand different doors, talked to hundreds of people, and I don't think that did a single thing. Like, it really was not my calling, but I did it because I thought, you have to do this to be good. You have to do this to be better. And it wasn't until, like, one quiet moment where I was like, I really felt that God was there, and God was like, I want to know you. I want to 
I want to love you, that I, I really felt connected to God. And, um, and I had to relearn everything. It's like, no, it's not through doing these incredible things. It's not through doing things that people think are good. It's through what God wants me to, to know from him. It's through a relationship, and it's through loving people, and it's through just, uh, I, I read, I had a Bible teacher. I went to a Christian school for middle school and high school, and uh, he gave me this book um, called Desiring God by John Piper, and the whole book basically says God wants you to be happy, and if you really love God, you will be happy because God's happy, and I really, really needed to hear that because I always thought you have to hate yourself in order to be worshiping God, and it's like, no, that's not it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, a religion and a religious environment are, are two very different um, entities. You know, certainly, um, it's it's amazing. I mean, Kim, your your story of your upbringing is a little bit different, um, and kind of saw a different kind of path and um and it really kind of came to know god's love in a, a different way uh i had a very different background probably what Corey did yeah yeah uh like many of us in this country i came from a broken home my parents divorced it when i was nine and i remember when they told me at that moment i i, I took inward that it was my fault that the divorce was happening and that i was responsible for the breaking of the home so I carried that in to my teenage years with a single mom who ended up turning to alcohol and um, prescription pain pills just to numb her pain. And so um, I helped take care of my two younger sisters and just um, was searching for love in all the wrong places with a father missing who was um, you know, in another country uh, drinking himself to death, ruining his health. And, so I just, um, like many teenagers, I just began looking for love and promiscuity and just uh, uh, drugs and a high school dropout. And I had, you know, I knew about God, but I didn't know God for myself. I didn't want to know him. And, you know, I was rebellious and angry and hurting. And so you take that and fast forward. And um, God was at work even in the people, like around when I was 15, I left home. And different people from our apartment complex would take us in. Um, there were all three of us left before we were 18. And um, in the most dysfunctional ways, there was a man who um, let me do drugs with him and abused me. But he was the one that like led me to go find uh, the college that I would go to because I ended up going back to night school, finishing my high school degree. God be the glory. And then I, uh, this man took me to this college that was tuition free. And I was one of these people that you would never, ever believe would go to college, would ever make, you know, was, you know, she's the girl who won't make anything of herself because she's a pothead and she's just, you know, she's, you know, a loser. And that's how I felt about myself and that's how I portrayed myself to others. I had no self-esteem, no confidence at all. And so that's the kind of stuff that you battle, you know, insecurity and uh, just lack of confidence. And so I'm a miracle sitting here today because... God had it in his heart to um, have me go to Berea College in Kentucky, where within two weeks I met David, my husband, who had come from a godly family and um, 
was brought up on the mission field in Brazil and his parents were just, they embraced me as messed up and um, broken as I was. And um, now my hand's gonna shake. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what God can do. He knew me, I didn't know him, but he knew me. And he, he put me inside his family and he had his eye on me all along. And he still does because, you know, through all that, throughout all these years of walking with him, I've been walking with him over 30 years now, a college professor led me to Christ. And um, my husband believed in me. And even though I wasn't really yet a believer, he still, you know, loved me and embraced me and just, you know, took me in to um, be with him. So that's God's heart, isn't it? And it's, I just give him glory. It's, it's amazing how, because <clears throat> I think we, what both of you have shared, we've all felt that I'm not good enough. Um, and sometimes we have trouble understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament. And really what the Old Testament did was reveal that we're not good enough. We can't measure up to the law. All the rules and the religion that you're probably, probably brought up was not a new covenant it was the, based off of the old covenant. Jesus fulfilled that in two very simple commandments that you really grabbed hold of probably far before you realized you did of love God and love people. Basically, love the Lord your God. Jesus said all the prophets and law hangs on these two. And you actually grasp those. But working those out and those emotions of, of not being good enough and um, you know, insecurity, God purifies those and it takes sometimes it, it takes time I, I mean you hear of miraculous stories where it's just like people get it immediately but uh, for the high majority of us it, it's a long process of battling those emotions battling those things and many times uh, for those of you that are new to the faith it looks very kind of pretty on the outside for everybody but behind closed doors for years sitting in kind of church pews if you will it's a rough situation working through that, and really what we're moving ourselves to is from a worldly perspective to a godly perspective, what Romans 12 refers to as a renewing of the mind, of taking on God's perspective and his perfect will for our life, and so uh, it's beautiful that both of you bring that up, because I know everyone in this room has felt that in some way, shape, or form, either currently or previously, or you will, Um, so I'm I'm really grateful you, you guys shared that. Um, you, you, you battle with your own set of emotions and stuff, and you're kind of upbringing. You guys moved into Jacksonville. How old were you guys when you moved into Jacksonville? So I originally was born in Columbia, so I was there until I was nine, and then I moved to Miami with my mom. And I was there until I was 16, and then we moved to Jacksonville. And at that time, I was a lot darker than I am now because I was a swimmer, and I barely... You know, I mean, I spoke English, but I obviously wasn't your average white girl, and I really stood out when I moved to Jacksonville, and I think that was really awkward and hard because I had left a country and, and found a home in Miami, and now was uprooted from that to a very white city where I wasn't that welcomed, and sorry if I get upset. It's okay. I've been crying all morning. It's Okay. That definitely brought a lot of different emotions from just self-worth and why I was here to begin with. And I really struggled. I went from being a really good student, you know, all-star in every sport I played, to being a pothead, so I can relate, to drinking myself to sleep, to just barely graduating high school if it wasn't for my math teacher who had faith 
that I could do it, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have happened. So I struggled, and then I left high school, and I just continued that same pattern. Now, I grew up in the church, and, you know, I grew up in Columbia seeing lots of miracles and people getting healed and God delivering, and, and I knew the power of God, but I really struggled connecting that to my own per- personal life and just kind of walked aimlessly without any direction. I was very rebellious, and I just, you know, I left my parents. I moved out. And I struggled with depression probably for almost 30, almost uh, 10, 12 years, I would say. And it was hard. I, I really, there was a point in my life where I remembered, I'm going to be that Christian woman who is going to struggle with depression my entire life until I get to heaven. Like, I could not understand when people would tell me, there's joy, like the Lord is joy, and, and there is a joy that you can attain, and it seems so far so far away from me, and I really realized that just walking with the Holy Spirit and walking with the Lord, he would ask me more and more, just come to me, just come to me, but me being, like Kyle and I kind of joke, OCD, I like to control everything, and the fact that I was depressed and afflicted by something really bothered me, and I wanted Mm. to control it, and I wanted to beat it, and, and I wasn't letting Jesus take that place, so my focus was all on my depression, my lack, my pain, my self-pity, instead of just staring at him. And it was many years of my poor husband just praying and blessing and and really struggling to help me. And, And I didn't find a light at the end of the tunnel. I would go to many church services and pray and cry and just kind of thought those are my cards dealt. But really, when I noticed a shift was the second that I took depression out of my God place, out of my focus, and I put Jesus there, that's when I started to see it move. And that's when I started to feel freedom. I knew him, but now I could feel him. And now I started to feel those chains just fall. And they fell, and it was so liberating. But it wasn't until the time where I could feel the same pattern. There was about, probably every several months, I would be okay. And then I would fall into a pit of just dark, 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 darkness. It would come over me. It was too strong. And I would just debilitate. I would fall. And I remember when that tried to come to me again when we had moved here to Jacksonville. And moving to Jacksonville was something that the Lord has wanted us to do for several, several years. But my husband and I were kind of like Jonah and the whale. We will go anywhere but here. (laughs) We do not want to be in Jacksonville. It's not our type of place, we didn't think, and it's not what we wanted. We, we were creating a different life for ourselves elsewhere. But I, when we moved here and finally stepped out in faith, and, and you know, God's providing things that I never thought he would in, in ways that I never imagined, I felt that same feeling come over me again. And I remember, like, talking to the Holy Spirit, like, oh, no, like, there it is. You know, I remember this face. I know what this does. But at that moment, I just felt this peace and power, and I just said no, and it was just very simple. It was just a no answer, and since then, I've never felt that grip. I've never felt that depression, never felt that pain and loneliness, because now I know joy, and that's a person, and that's Jesus, and he took that place, and it's great. It's his glory. I love just the idea of the exchange, how you describe that, of just putting Jesus in that place, is a really beautiful picture of just, there's a great song out called The Beautiful Exchange, and that's just that idea of just 
exchanging all that baggage, if you will, that we all carry, whatever that might be, if it's depression, if it's, you know, self-doubt or, um, you know, alcoholism, whatever, and exchanging what we have and can control and are comfortable with for what Jesus gives us. And I think for, for many of us, like, that feels like a very far leap when you're hurting that bad. Like, it's, it's hard to, like, just, it's not just that easy. Yeah, like, that's, it's, it, that's why I love how easy you put it, because it's not that easy, but that mental kind of switch of an exchange is, is really powerful, but it's a, it's a journey, I think, as all of you are saying. It's a process of seeking the Lord, as we've just been talking about this morning, just seeking the Lord and wanting more of him, wanting to make that exchange, um, I think is really, really um, incredible to, to see that. So um, if any of you, have any of you uh, experienced anything that they've talked about so far, I mean, I think everyone would say, I muted it, my bad. Um, you know, and so I think we've all been in those uh, dark places, whatever that might be or look for or look like for, for all of us. I mean, uh, I was talking to Corey even this past week, and, and some of the, the kind of dark stuff you've battled, um, demons, if you will, of the past, kind of are getting uncovered a little bit more, and you've had to look them straight in the face. I mean, even similar to what you just expressed. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So when I was nine years old, I, I had heart surgery. That's actually kind of really hard for me to say because like my whole life I've been trying to do a, I'm not going to be defined by this moment. This is not going to define who I am. So saying it in front of a big group of people was kind of like giving that up. <laughs> um, at the same time though, I, I realized and I kind of from my counseling training realized that by never talking about that to anybody, I, that made my whole life about it. Because when you talk to somebody that has trauma or grief or loss, whenever they refer to that as like the incident or something like that, and they don't refer to it as what actually happened, they're giving power to what's going on. And they're, they're thinking about it all the time. So if you bring it up, you're actually taking power away because you're like, instead of you just thinking about this alone, you have somebody here to talk about it with. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, it was a birth defect, and it was kind of like a thing where it was a possibility that if I didn't get it fixed, I would suddenly die. Like, so I got that fixed, and with talking about what I talked about earlier, how I always had that feeling of God loves me and this feeling of I'm not good enough, I didn't allow myself to realize how much I hated the fact that I had a heart problem because I would always just say, well, if I die, then I'm no longer in this place where nobody likes me anyways, and I'll go and be with Jesus. But that was kind of like just a, a lie I told myself because I was terrified to death of dying. And um, I've just now kind of realized that my whole life I've been angry at God, and I've been like, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you give me this thing that I'm going through? But I never consciously, not in prayer, not to anybody, said that. And, but at the same time, there's a part of me that would, I guess it's kind of like prayer body language. 
So I'd be praying and I'd be like, because I've had surgery twice. I just had one when I was 21 and I had nerve damage pain from it. And it hurt so bad and I would always pray, God, take this nerve damage pain away from me. But at the same time, my body, my spiritual body language was saying, I'm so mad at you. Why did you do this to me? And, and I mean, it, I don't know about you, but if you were to go to a doctor and you're, you're like asking them to help you, but then you're cussing at him and then <sighs> giving him the middle finger. I mean, I, I don't think he would help you. <laughs> um, and I think God just really wanted me to get to a place where I confronted my feelings and actually told him I am mad. And we actually had that conversation and he went, it's okay, you're allowed to be mad. I was like, really? Okay. And I, um, I recently, I had to go in t- for a heart catheterization. And um, I've had two of those before. And they always meant, oh, you're going to go have surgery after this. And um, so it was a pretty big deal. Recently is this month. Yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was talking with my friend Belinda about it, because I, I, I talked to her about a lot of stuff, and she's like, you need to tell Kyle. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, no, you need to go tell Kyle. And so I did, and he kind of prayed with me, and prayed about everything that I've kind of been dealing with. Like, he, I didn't even have to say it. He's just like, I know he's probably going through a lot of stuff. God, help him sort through that. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I finally kind of, I'm still dealing with the fact of a little bit of anger and stuff, but I'm upfront about it. And I think that, that that's what I needed to do. And um, yeah, so just made it to where I'm still working through that and I'm still working through being myself. I, I love just your honesty and um, just the idea, again, we always want it wrapped up. The end of the series on loss, we want it wrapped up in a bow. Sometimes just not like that. And um, the power of looking it in the eyes, and as we've gone down the row here, and everybody shared, you can hear them looking it in the eyes and calling it what it is. And the power of that, that you're able to share, and how you can see in Corey's story, how difficult that is to look it in the eye and call it what it is, for him to even begin to even tell me in a private setting was difficult. And so we, it's difficult for us, the things that we're looking with and dealing with, but God doesn't want us to stay in that place. He's, he's drawing us into um, the life that he has for us, the healing he has for us, the, the wholeness that he has for us. And so uh, I love the honesty of it. I'm looking it in the face and I'm working through it. Um, and God's with you in that so much. I just thought of Jacob wrestling with God and uh, he, he went away walking uh, with a limp, but he, he was going to wrestle until, um, you know, the, the Lord blessed him. And sometimes we do. We just have to continue to press in, and uh, we will walk away with a limp or um, whatever that might look like in our life. But it's, it's an incredible expression of seeking God and wanting him to meet you in that dark night place. Yeah. Can I have one more thing? Oh, absolutely. Um. That story that he told is actually my favorite story in the whole Bible of the whole Jacob wrestling with God. And it's partly because I love MMA. (laughs) Like, I love 
like <laughs> watching like jujitsu and the part that other people think are boring is like my favorite part. I'm like, yeah, get that submission. Like, and I mean, the part where they just dance around, no one's hitting each other. That's your favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> to think about uh, wrestling with God all night, like physically sounds amazing but like Kyle said it does it just sounds like the best time ever because I some of you know I'm a, a big hugger and that's I just like that but uh like Kyle said I think we all kind of wrestle with God in our own way and that's not so fun yeah um and yeah so I, I, I just awesome. Add that. <laughs> awesome well um you know, a lot of what Corey was talking about was just a, a fear, really a fear of dying and anger that came out of that. And, and talking with Kim, like you've, um, you've had to deal with the loss and the whole idea of death in a very real way multiple times in the past um, few years. Can you share on that? Uh, yeah, this last year, um, I saw the loss of my father and my mother-in-law. And so it's been a tough year, but um, just rewinding a little bit, you know, I don't think there's one of us in here, if we're honest, that doesn't want, a, it's just a God-given um, reality in all of us that wants a relationship with our earthly father. No matter how, how broken that relationship is, there wasn't ever a time that I didn't want a relationship with my dad. And I wasn't really given that. I ha he was in and out of my life just a little bit through the teenage years where I would go seek him out. And I was this daughter who would sit next to him when he was raging drunk, just angry and violent, and I would not leave his side. I just, God has given me the ability and the gift to see what's in people, no matter what the behavior. So I would just not leave his side. And so there was always this desire in my heart to know him and to maybe change him, to, you know, have him come around and um, see something in me that was of value. And so you fast forward a bunch of years, and in 2011, uh, having him, you know, not in my life. On January 1st, 2011, up in the driveway, pulls in my half-sister with my dad's pickup truck, all of his belongings bungee-corded like the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> and he had totally ruined his health. He was on kidney dialysis. He was, um, he was a diabetic. He, he, he was just at the end of his life. And my half-sister and half-brother didn't know what to do with him anymore. He had just had quad bypass. and. He, every organ in his body was failing, and they were like, we don't know what to do with him. Can you take him? And so for the next three and a half years, uh, David and I were his caretakers, and we had him in and out of hospitals and assisted living and um, nursing homes. And um, But the emotional battle, a lot of things that I thought I had healed from, or even that little girl desire, you know, I'm going to change you, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm lovable, and we're going to have a relationship. Well... Bitterness and unforgiveness, I'm going to tell you, um, my dad, you know, ended up leaving this world with those, but, uh, you know, those are things that you can really hang on to, and they can really just destroy a life, and so I had to, I had to learn to let go, and I learned, you know, these last three and a half years to just, God did a lot of healing in my heart, I learned how to love unconditionally, and just say, you know, you're here for a reason, but it wasn't pretty, I, I, it was not pretty. I didn't do it all well. I, 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 um, I stumbled a lot, and I came, um, a lot of stuff came up and out. But this last March, uh, we lost him to cancer, and um, the good news is, is that um, 
my, the prayer that I finally came to rather than praying that he and I would have a relationship that would affirm me as a daughter, I just began to pray, God, just that I would know he's going to be with you and that I'll see him on the other side. And, um, you know, like the thief on the cross, he, he said the sinner's prayer in the hospital bed. And all of his kids were around him. And, um, you know, it was just a glorious time just seeing him off to heaven. Uh, it's also been a painful time just letting go of, um, you know, that dream unrealized and just letting God be that father. And he's the best daddy a girl could ever have. And I'm still discovering that. And um, David's mother, she died in December, and she was just an amazing mother figure to me where my mom, I love her, and we have a great relationship, but she just couldn't be a mom because of the addiction. So, you know, but these losses um, only have served to make me stronger, and I've certainly been battling pain and um, also just... You know, when you've walked with the Lord a long time, just that knowledge, you know, well, you've got to always just be on. And I tell you what, God in this season is eradicating performance mentality and, you know, just saying, you know, I'm, you know, joy is elusive right now, but I know it's there. I've encountered it over and over and over and over again in my life. But we need each other. And I've just been able to look at those around me and say, you know, I know it's there. I've tasted it and I've seen, but I'm not. I'm just not there. I'm gonna, you know, I'm in this season of just mourning, and so this is just, this is what it's all about—being family and walking together and being real with one another. So, that's, that's I, I love what you just said there because that's something I think all of us struggle with: is uh, accepting two truths that seem to be contradictory. Uh, of I'm struggling, and God still loves me. Um, you know, and just the pain and reality and the truth of our hope that we have in Christ is, it's, it's tough to accept those two truths at the same time, and uh, we all have to wrestle that. I heard a pastor once share that, like, look, just the statement of those two truths, if you keep on saying the one, if you keep on believing the ones, keep on exchanging that one every day, every hour, whatever it looks like, you know, one of them is going to come to pass um, and, and be more evident than, than the last, and um, you know, and so I just, I, I love that, and just that the pain that we have to deal with and walk through, God's still, still who he is, and, and can still prove himself strong <clears throat> in that. My voice sounds like garbage. I so apologize. You guys are being troopers listening to that, um, but gosh, you guys are, are being amazing, just sharing, and um, Alex, you had mentioned, you know, moving to Jacksonville and, and not loving this place, and um, it, it had a lot of bad memories for you, really. Uh, can you share more about just what God's done through that and that big decision? Because location is a big deal to move your family. It's a big deal. I think part of it, too, was just because of all the baggage I had with the place, Jacksonville, all together. I remember when I was struggling through my teenage years after high school, or I guess young adult years, there was a dock in Mandarin that I used to go to. And I remember that very dock. I cursed God so much in that place because I was so angry and so hurt. And it was just a place that carried a lot of baggage. And when we were here before, because Chris and I were originally in Jacksonville for a while, and then we left and moved to Chicago. We were there for several years. I remember I really was hungry for the Lord, but I didn't know how else to seek him. I was just like kind of running out of ideas. Like, what else do I do? Like, I need you to meet me. Like, you have to meet me. This is mandatory. Like, I cannot go on anymore. And I remember 
I woke up one morning and in the thought in my head, it was just, I'm going to seek you in new ways and you, you will meet me in new ways because he can't deny himself regardless of my ability to perform or not perform. So I remember that I went to that very same dock that I used to curse him in a dock that was just very dark. I mean, I, I used to just cry and, and I would be drunk and I would be high and it just cursed at him. And I remember just sitting there and just praying and, and crying and just asking for the Holy Spirit to come. And he didn't just come, but he came in a way that stamped my life forever. And he redeemed that place. So no longer is that place dark, but now it's light. And no longer is it a place in my life where I see it as a curse, but a blessing, because so much came out of that. And I think it, you know, a lot of times in our mind, we have an idea of how our life should look, what, you know, location we need to be in, because we like this, and we like this, and this is what I want. So we become very, I guess, self-centered, really. It's all about us. And God's plans are usually so completely different. And his plan for us was always to be in Jacksonville. And we were always like, no, we don't want to be in Jacksonville. I had my own personal reasons. You know, my husband just like cooler, trendy places, and I don't blame him, <laughs> so do I. And we were just like, no, we're leaving. So we left. And funny thing is, we left and came back. And then we left again. <laughs> and then we were in Chicago twice already. And then we were there for four years. After I had Skylar, we were at this crossroads of like, okay, I wasn't working, Chris was working, Lord, we have to do something. There's just, we were stagnant for a while, and him and I were praying and fasting and just wanting to seek the Lord as to what we needed to do next. And we had made up our minds to move to the West Coast. California was our heart. We're like, we're going west, we're moving to Bethel. It's a place in California that has a church that we just really were ministered a lot out of. And he had got a job, everything. We're like, all right, we're doing it. And then a couple of days went by, and I just had this aching spirit, like the Holy Spirit was just aching inside of me, like, this is just not right. And I was like, really? It's just not it. So I remember him and I looking at each other, and we had not discussed it, that, it, that I was feeling wrong about moving to California, but he looked at me, and he's like, you have the same feeling I have. And I was like, yeah, what is that? He's like, we have to move to Jacksonville. And I was like, we have to move to Jacksonville. So needless to say, we moved to Jacksonville again for the third time. And just we're really being obedient to him. And even being here for now, it'll be two years in March. We are just very open to whatever the Lord wants to do with us. And though it's not a place where we ever imagined ourselves or, or planted our life to be in, God has really opened up so many blessings that have surpassed like my brain capacity because all of the things that we have here I would have imagined us to have in a prettier place like in California or like Washington but he has really just redeemed so much and he's really just showing us like hey like my plan is so much better just trust me and it's never going to look like what you think at all at all whatsoever but it's just really just allowing him to take your hand and lead you and it is scary. It was very scary. It doesn't, I cried, I screamed. I was like a little toddler throwing a tantrum. I mean, many times it wasn't easy. And even at times being here wasn't easy because family's here, but my family and I kind of have had our, you know, boxing rounds and God has really kind of healed me through that too, which I think is one of the reasons why he brought me back to Jacksonville. So it, it's been a very yeah. long journey. Yeah. I just get this picture of like these places on the map that we kind of put pinpoints like, oh God, when I'm 
if, you know, for those of you that are single, I know single ladies especially, like, I'll be married by this time and I'll be pregnant by this time. We begin to, you know, do those guys, we have our own of where we're going to be in success or in our career. Or, you know, we all have those things. Um, and when we say yes to the Lord, really the first thing we should do is just pull all those out. Um, because that song we sing, I Surrender, is we sing that, but do, are we willing to live that for the beauty that God has unfolding before us and that the pinpoints that he has are, are so much better for us, um, more than what we can think uh, or imagine. And it just doesn't always look like what we want it to look and just beginning to rest in what the Lord is doing. And uh, I just love so much, just, and I thank you guys so much for just sharing openly. Can you just show your appreciation to them today for sharing? Um, it's about it's about God receiving glory for for what He's doing in our life. The table is not just about what He did, but about what He's doing. It's not just about what He's doing, but also what He's going to finish and complete. I want to read a couple of scriptures. Uh, first, out of Revelation 12, when we think of Revelation, we immediately think of end times teaching, and here's a very present moment from John's Revelation, and that speaks to exactly what we're talking about today. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Sounds so much like what you guys were saying. Accuse them. You're feeling inadequate, insecure. Um, Continue on. They triumphed over him they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Those places you spoke of, this, I'm just so reminded, it's by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that we can um, triumph and be overcomers in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short, is that God's not finished in this battle. It's real. It's real that we feel what we feel inside of us is a very much a spiritual battle. I want to um, finish with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. One of the most, uh, verses 3 through 6. Um, this has been a, just a big, big, big scripture in my life over the past several years. I thank my God every time I remember you. As Paul praying as a pastor. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As your pastor, I speak that to you guys that have especially been with us for a while now. Just thank you for partnering with us in the gospel. And love what he says here. This is the part that I cannot get off my brain. Being confident of this that who, who, who began a work in you will carry it on to completion. Some translation will say perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. He that began the work in you will be faithful to bring it and carry it on to completion. And so I know just across this room, like we're probably all dealing, we've got our own story, we've got our only th- own things that we're battling and fighting through and your story is probably not finished. And you may be wrestling with some of those emotions. 
In fact, if you've experienced anything that anyone up here has talked about today, just allowed, I just want us all to say me too at the same time. One, two, three. Me too. Yeah, you're not the only one that's felt some of those things. You're not the only person whose stories might not be wrapped up, but they're connected to one another. The people sitting around you in this room are probably experiencing some things you've experienced and you've gone through. And when you feel alone, you're not. Uh, when you feel like your story's over and it's uh, all going against you, read Philippians 1, 6, that he's going to finish what he starts in you. And we can rest in that. As tough as the day is, as dark as the night is, um, God is true to his word and he is who he is. Um, and he's going to come through. And so I just want to invite you to, to stand and I want to pray today.